Money talks. But so do we. I'm Lauren. I'm Kat. And I'm Daniel. And And we're we're your friends friends with with tax tax benefits. We're here to sound off about write-offs. To get wise about wealth building. And take the taboo out of tax talk. We work at TurboTax, so obviously this is what we love to talk about. But we're not here to replace your tax professional. In each episode, we'll share real talk about money with our personal opinions, advice, and jokes about all things financial. What we won't do is share any opinions on behalf of Intuit, TurboTax, their brands, or employees. Did the lawyers make you say that, Kat? So stop scrolling on Tax Talk. Call your financial professional later because it's time to talk tax, friends. Welcome to this week's episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Kat. Hi, Daniel. Hi, my friends. Nice to see you both. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing all things real money talk. We're going to take a bit of a different approach and we won't have a question and answer section. Rather, we're going to just jump in and share things we've learned, best practices and even worst practices that we've acquired along the way. One of the worst practices that I think folks have seen lately are the Netflix docudrama series surrounding Anna Sororkin, who pretended to be a German heiress, and the Tinder swindler who preyed on folks by using love to get financial gain. I think we can all agree, if you've seen the show, that while there might not be a right person to discuss your finances with, had the folks who had been targeted by these two individuals had better advice, or maybe even this podcast, they would have made different choices. Have you heard or seen these episodes? I know it was covered in the news a bit. I have binge watched both shows, just stunned, stunned. (laughs) I have not seen either, but you know this about me. It's true. I had a friend who asked me, you know, what am I doing wrong? I can't get a guy to buy me coffee. And these people are getting tens of thousands of dollars from their their Tinder dates. It's, It's really something. Yeah. And I think the problem is, is they weren't comfortable talking about the situations that they were in, right? So I'm sure if as the girls were getting swindled out of these thousands of dollars, if they had a real talk about what they were doing with their money, what they were cashing out, somebody might have thrown red flags at them like, uh, do you really think he's a millionaire and he needs to borrow a couple grand from you? So thankfully, you all have the opportunity to have these real talks with us here on this podcast episode, and we can share some things we've learned along the way or wish we would have learned earlier, right? So Lauren, I'm sure you've got some things that you'd love to share with our audience about some real situations you've been in. One thing that really struck me in watching both those shows is how much shame people had around where they ended with their money as a result of what they've been through. And we haven't all been through these wild scams, but I think a lot of us do have some history of some challenges with our money and tend to carry a lot of shame and self-blame around that. Money can also be a source of such tremendous anxiety, right? If we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this idea that we as human beings have 
essential needs that we need to survive as the baseline. And part of those are food, shelter, a certain level of security that money plays an integral part in providing. And I think it can cause a lot of anxiety and stress and shame when we feel like we don't have enough to make ends meet, or we've made some poor decisions in the past that we carry a lot of anger about, or we have this shame for not knowing then what we know now and not having been able to do better for ourselves in the past. And your net worth doesn't have to determine your self-worth and your past does not determine your potential. One critical step to turning your money situation around, if you're going down a path you don't really want to be going down, is to really be honest with where you're at. So set a money date and lay everything out on the table. Understand what's in your bank balances, how much are your credit card bills, how are your investments doing if you have any. And then once you have a really clear picture of what's going on, that's when you'll be in a position to really make a plan to create a change in your situation. Um, But we really can't fix things we're not willing to face. Yeah, definitely. If you don't know what the situation is like, then how, how do you move forward? And I think it also helps once you're really clear on where your money is going and what's happening with it, you are then more empowered to make certain changes. So for example, once you know how much you owe on your credit cards, you can make a really solid plan to pay it off. Once you see how much you have coming in and going out every month or every couple of weeks, you can decide maybe there are places you can cut back to then help you reach your financial goals. You know what? That reminds me of when when I did first start using budget software and, and I had to, at the beginning, like, how much do you spend uh, each month on clothing? And I was like, I don't know. It's as a family, I don't know, like 50 bucks or something. And that would be like three months to buy a pair of shoes, you know? And so it, I realized it was much more than that. And I had just no idea because it, it, there's sort of like, it was like eyes wide closed is how I was going through my money life. And I would say that looking at your, your bank balance is useful But you also don't know, I mean, like if you have credit card bills, like your bank balance does not represent what you have to spend because you're going to have to, you know, pay that. And so um, just really getting a sense of where your money is going is more than just looking at your bank balance. And it'll really open your eyes to like, I have this little diet Coke when I go through the Home Depot line. And when I had to realize that, what category does that come from? I don't know. Is that the fun money category? No, I'm not going to spend like that's for like like going to the zoo or something like that. And so I was like, I don't want to spend any of my categories on that Diet Coke. It was better when it wasn't coming from anywhere, categorically speaking. And when I started realizing like, oh, if I'm spending money on this, I'm actually taking money from someplace else that, that, I, that I could be spending. It. And I just made way better decisions financially when I started understanding where my money was going. And I think it's also really important that us as consumers – get more intentional about advocating for ourselves. And I'll share a few examples of this. When I was in a situation years ago where I was very aggressively paying off my debt, I actually got really intentional about calling different companies and asking them to to reduce my debt. So an example of that is a lot of credit card companies or banks will, if you tend to overdraft or miss a payment once in a blue moon, a lot of them will actually waive a late payment fee or an overdraft fee about once every 12 months. And an example of that is years ago, I went shopping and on impulse, I bought a $45 sweater or a couple of things at the Gap on my Gap credit card. 
And I almost never use my Gap credit card. So I bought this really cute accessory and then completely forgot that I'd bought it and paid for it with my credit card. And then about a month later, I moved and I completely missed getting these bills for about three or four or five. It was quite a while of time. And I had no idea that I owed this money. And I got a call from the Gap. They were doing collections and were saying, hey, you owe us this money and it's compounded because we've been charging you these late fees. And now you owe us, you know, $200 or something that was much more than what I paid. Oh my God. And I actually said, you know, listen, I have in fact moved in the past few months and I had no idea that I owed this money or that it was compounding with the interest and the late fees. And I asked the person who called me, I said, would you waive? all of the interest and all of the late fees, and I'm happy to pay that original balance ASAP. And they did, right? So instead of paying several hundred dollars, they literally dropped all of the fees and all of the interest for me. And I think often as consumers, especially if we feel like we're in debt or we're embarrassed about where we are with money, we don't even realize that we have, in a lot of cases, options to get people to help us out, right? Another example of that for me is that I landed in the emergency room a couple of months ago for a health crisis that came up. And I'm much better now, so no need to worry. But I did get hit with a hefty bill from the hospital. And I called them up and I said, hey, listen, can you give me a discount on these bills? And they did. So they knocked off about 20% from almost all of the, the bills they'd sent me. And so I was able to reduce what I owed with just one phone call. Really and truly, there's no harm in asking. And them removing a late payment for you or reducing the amount not only is going to save you money, but likely is going to have a positive impact on your credit and credit score by removing a derogatory item from your payment history. That could honestly have just been a mistake and oversight. I know once I, I missed a payment myself because I took a trip and had a new card and didn't realize the payment date and I was out of the country. And when I got back and I had the saw the email that said, you missed the payment, I did the same thing. I called them. I wasn't even expecting them to waive the fee. I just was like, oh my God, it was an accident. And the person's like, okay, you've never been late before. We will this one-time courtesy. And that was my experience being blown away that that was even a possibility. I, I really just tried on a whim like, maybe it's possible. And it really was. So I think the worst case scenario is you hear no, and then you're in the same situation. So why not? One more trick I have for people who are really trying to pay down debt. One of the challenges with debt is it can be a little bit like being in a whirlpool where you get in it and then you're sucked in because of the interest rates. And we talked a little bit about interest in the investing episode, but the challenge is if your interest is growing over time, even as you're chipping away from it, that overall balance still might be increasing because you're still paying interest and it's compounding or growing over time. And when I was in a situation where I was really aggressively paying off my credit cards, I used what's called a balance transfer promotion. So I got a letter from one of my other credit card companies and they said, hey, Lauren, we would like to offer you a balance transfer promotion. Switch your balance from that card to this card and pay 0% interest for 12 months. And what I was able to do was transfer my balance from one card where I was paying about 14% interest to the balance transfer card. And I paid a small fee, about 5%. But then over the long term, it was 0% every month while that promotion was going on. 
And I made a plan to pay off that debt while it was at 0% interest. And that really helped me chip away at my credit cards because then I wasn't stuck paying that interest and I was able to pay them down much faster. And that really helped me to dig myself out of debt when I was in a situation where I needed to do that. Piece of advice to tack onto that. Your credit score is one of the components of it is the age of your credit. And so, for example, if you had that credit card that Lauren just mentioned and you 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 transfer the balance to another credit card, don't close that credit card that you just transferred from because then, you know, if you only have two credit cards now and your new one, your, your age of credit is a week old and that will really hurt your credit score. So I learned that the hard way by closing a credit card that I never, never used anymore. And and they said, oh, your credit is, you know, not that old anymore. It's only four years instead of 12 years. You just lost eight years. So it's one thing to keep in mind. So I want to tell you about budgeting, like really budgeting, like every single dollar. And you're going to like, don't roll your eyes, like hear me out, stay with me here because it's it's fun and kind of exciting because you can see yourself making progress. Okay, imagine you had 1500 bucks and your paycheck. And so in what we use is budget software. And it, it, what we use is not super important. I'm not advocating for a, a certain piece of software, but the software we use, you put the money into your various categories. So 1500 bucks, I'm going to put $200 into groceries and $100 into the gas category and $1,000 for you know rent and $1,000 towards electricity. You have 100 bucks left to budget and you would like some new shoes but you'd also like to go have dinner with your buddies and go see Pine Grove on Friday night. And so you say, I'm going to Pine Grove and dinner because you know you read somewhere that experiences make you happier than things. So you put the money in the fun money category, you go out and you have a great time and there's zero guilt because that $100 that you budgeted for your night out was, was specifically earmarked for, for that show and for that night out. And so maybe you'll get shoes next month when you get to, oh, I have a little bit of extra money. What, where do I want to put it towards? Contrary to what I had imagined, using software and budgeting, it actually makes me feel freer to spend, even though there's a constraint, because every dollar in the vacation category is for vacation. So when we go on vacation, we just spend from the vacation category and it's fine. We're not taking from the general fund. And the car repair that I had to just pay for this week on that ancient Subaru Outback, well, it doesn't hurt because the money, I had money in the car repair category. And so it doesn't feel crappy. Before every expenditure, I was like, ugh, I, I probably should, this probably should go to something else. As my income goes up, like the amount of money we put in our, all these categories basically stays the same. We don't spend more for going out because I ha- get a raise. It stays the same. And all that extra money goes to our long-term savings. So my wife said, hey, Khalil, our son needs new shoes. And I said, oh, shoot, do we have any money in the clothing category? This is like on Sunday. And she said, oh, shoot, it's out. And I said, can it wait till April 1? Because it fills back up on April 1. We got date night coming up. I mean, you can take money from date night, but then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't go on a date. And so we just wait until April 1 and we've got the money sitting there. So that has completely changed the game for us. It's guiltless spending on the things that we have dedicated that money towards. I love that. I think people tend to have such a strong negative reaction to the idea of budgeting. But I think there are a couple of really helpful mindset shifts around that. I think the first is this idea that your budget doesn't manage you. Your budget helps you to manage your money. And the other one for me is that it's not never, it's as soon as. So for Khalil's new shoes, he's not never getting the new shoes. 
but he can get them as soon as there is money available in your shoe fund. And one thing I found helpful is making sure the categories in my budget suit what I want to do with my money. Like me, you know, looking this fly is really an investment, right? So my budget includes <laughs> getting my hair done. <laughs> in my dream life, I would get every month a massage, a facial, and eventually I, I love to go to live concerts. I want to, when the time is safe again, be able to go to a concert every month. And I set aside money in my self-care bucket in my budget for my massages and my facials. I have a fun fund that I use to fund my concerts and things I really want to do. So I think it's important to really try to set aside money, not just for your basics, but for the things you want, because that can really make you feel more empowered to live the life you want to live and design your life intentionally in a way that's very mindful of how your money can work for you. I think that budgeting also gives you a sense of freedom. So a house might, and it always does, something comes up and AC compressor needs to be replaced. You have a leak here, you have a plumbing issue. And if you've already strapped for cash because you've maxed out your budget, you have the potential to leave yourself in that like sticky situation, right? The same way with a car, you might get a flat or have maintenance that's not covered by your insurance that you've got to come out of pocket for. But if you're at your maximum budget for what you were approved for or can afford, then you find yourself in a sticky situation. And what's the point of being house rich if you're cash poor? And your first home, I think like folks get caught up in, you know, the HGTV or what you see on television of like, oh, I must have the island, the five bedroom home, two car garage and a pool. It doesn't have to be that. Your first home should be something that's going to help you, A, avoid paying rent, um, hopefully a better rate than what you were paying rent, and then helping you build equity, right? So buying something that's below your means will help you do that. And interestingly enough, um, I'm going to use my brother as an example. He chose for his first home that he was going to get a duplex. And his logic behind that and what's you know helped him is that the duplex, he's able to live on one side and rent the other side. Another piece of advice I have is to tap into your community, right? So we can all agree that the Tinder swindler or the fake German heiress is not going to help us get closer to our financial goals. But one thing that I feel there's just so much taboo around is talking about how much you make. It, I feel like it's always been a, you know, don't talk about it. And one thing that has helped me, even if I'm not in the same industry as a friend of mine, is being open about how much we're making, like what you're potentially leaving on the table, whether that's helping speak life into negotiation for a friend or just learning how they've been able to maybe get a certificate to leverage to help them have more earning potential. Growing up, as a minority, the routes that my parents knew to be successful stereotypically were a doctor or something in the medical profession or a lawyer or the idea of simply staying at a job for 30 years and retiring. And I don't think that that's really today's reality. And I'm, I'm happy to have learned things outside of being a 
tax expert or an enrolled agent, like the other careers that I can potentially help expose my children to or others to, what do you need to make to be able to afford the life you want to live, right? Being real with yourself can mean several things. But for me, when it comes to real money is thinking about finances and thinking about debt, right? So it's empowering just to say like, yeah, I need to make a hundred and whatever thousand to be able to attain the things I want. So you got to be real with yourself and put those things in writing for you. It's always surprising to me how folks will come to me for advice on like, hey, how do I, what's the best way to attack my debt or how do I save? And then they don't know things like how much they're paying on their annual percentage rates for those credit cards, you know? So for me, the method that has worked best to help myself tackle debt was the snowball method. So the idea that you start paying off the smallest debt first and celebrating that win of, oh, I paid this $1,000 off. So I think writing it out and having a conquerable plan will make it feel like it's actually something you'll be able to accomplish rather than just looking at the looming overhead of your total debt. Well, everybody who works at TurboTax knows that tax deadline is right around the corner on the 18th. And um, for those of you who have already received a refund or who will be receiving a refund, I'd love some advice from one of you two as to how best to employ, you know, for a lot of people that windfall. What's the best way to approach that? Daniel, that is a great question. For a lot of Americans, that tax refund is the biggest check they'll get all year, and it can really make such a powerful difference in your financial situation. So I recommend not spending it all in one place, right? I think it's a great idea to use a little bit to pay off debt. If you have debt, it can really help you fast track your debt payoff to save a little so you have that financial security blanket. And then if you're at a point where you're ready to invest, investing is a ready idea to make it grow. And also reserving a little bit for a treat yourself splurge. So I think it's important to know what your financial situation is and what your most immediate goals are. And using your refund to really help you make progress towards those goals. I love that, Lauren. You know, and myself personally, something that I choose to do and some folks might not agree with it, is I choose to every paycheck, let more money be withheld to increase my possibility of getting a refund, right? So I'm married and I have children, but when I file my W-4 with my employer, I choose to file it as a single person with zero dependents. So I can afford to miss that little extra federal withholding that the government and that my paycheck is that I don't see every two weeks. And I don't miss that money and I've become accustomed to budgeting without that money. But then at the end of the year, when I file my taxes and I get you know higher standard deductions because I am married and I do have children, then it becomes kind of like a savings and I have that potential for that money to come back to me. Because personally, I would rather receive a refund than come tax time, be surprised with a bill. Yeah, I think everyone's situation is different in how will that refund best help you reach both your immediate short-term goals and also 
some of your longer term goals. I will say this has been a great chat, learning all the money moves that we've each been able to acquire and to share this real money talk and have these great conversations. So thank you guys for tuning in. Lauren, Daniel, great tips this week. And I really can't wait for our next episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, y'all. Always a good time. Bye. Friends with Tax Benefits is an Intuit TurboTax podcast produced by Frequency Media. We're your hosts, Daniel Thrall, Katharina Rickmans, and Lauren Thomas. From Intuit TurboTax, Jane Lahani is our executive producer, and Tony Melinda is our video producer. From Frequency Media, Jordan Rizzieri is our producer, Catherine Devine is our associate producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound engineer. Concept development by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pashesnik, and Isabel Moncloa Daly. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. 